0: I do want to remind you that uh, uh, the cookbooks are here for those who are interested in that. I shared with them in the early service that I have checked it out and discovered there are some great, great recipes there, particularly for banana pudding, of course. (laughs) And uh, so... I'm looking forward to trying some of those things, and uh, it's kind of a selfish thing on my part, because you know how much I, I love banana pudding. But I want to remind you of that. And then I think a lot of you know, maybe not all of you know, it, it's been a hard week uh, for our church family uh, this week. We have lost three of uh, our members, two sisters in Christ and a brother in Christ. Um, uh, Diane Thurston Mitchell passed away, and and Carolyn King passed away. And I think uh, everybody has heard, if you had not heard, I want you to know that our brother in Christ, brother Ray Tillotson has also gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, the arrangements are this, they're gonna receive friends tomorrow night uh, at Grace Mortuary from 530 to eight. And then the service will be on Tuesday at one o'clock here at Washington Baptist Church. So. I know you'll be praying for Julie and the whole family during this time and uh, uh, you know so many, so many children through the years have just been so blessed uh, by the love of God in both of those and uh, especially the ones they call Papa Ray, obviously. And uh, so we're going to miss him and his ministry, but I know you'll be praying for all of those uh, as we have our time together. The um, rest of the announcements, just reading the bulletin, and uh, that way you'll be at the right place at the right time. What I'd like to do now is just get into the Word of God with you. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to, to turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, and specifically chapter 10, and uh, we'll be looking in just a second in verse 10. John chapter 10 Verse 10, and I want to share some thoughts with you this morning about stolen treasures, stolen treasures. Jesus said here in John chapter 10, the very first part of this verse, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I think most of you understand that the greatest thief on the earth today, among us, of course, is Satan and his kingdom of darkness. Now, and it says he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. There is a progression that is given to us here. And what he has come to steal is not earthly treasures. Now, I'm not saying that he's not the evil behind all uh, stealing of earthly treasures and killing and destruction, those type of things. But the focus here in this verse that Jesus is talking about is not earthly treasures, it is spiritual treasures. Satan is seeking to steal from you and everyone on the face of earth all the spiritual treasures that people can have in a personal living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he specifically, though, focuses in on one particular spiritual treasure, and that's what I want to focus on this morning, and that is the seed, listen carefully, the seed of faith in the Lord Jesus, faith in God. Faith is the medium, what we call the medium exchange in the kingdom of God. Everything in terms of our relationship with God, our fellowship with God, our walk with God, our worship, our witness, everything in terms of us and our relationship with the Lord hinges upon our faith and our trust in him. You recall, you know this verse very well over in Hebrews chapter 11 and in, in verse six, we have looked at it many times together and I know you have heard it many times as, as people have shared, but where he says, Without Faith. without faith, it is impossible to please him or to please God. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so it's incredibly important that we understand just how important this is. So so Satan begins working, first of all, in the unbeliever. Now, all of us have probably, we have friends or we have family, maybe some fellow acquaintances in our life, but there are people we know that does not know the Lord Jesus. They need the Lord Jesus in their life. We want to see them. So maybe you're standing in the gap and you're praying for them, maybe you're pursuing them, you're trying to build a relationship with them and and you're looking for every opportunity to, pr- to present the gospel to them and maybe you're discouraged because it ta- it's taking so much and so long and you don't even see any evidence yet that all your prayers and all your pursuing and, and every time you share the gospel, though it's just falling on deaf ears. Well, there's a reason why because Satan and the kingdom of darkness brings the whole, listen to me, the whole arsenal of hell against that unbeliever and against everything you're doing because here's what he knows. If that seed of faith, gets planted in their heart through the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God then will water it and one day bring fruit from it. And so as a result, he is fighting with everything he has, the whole arsenal of hell, to keep that seed of faith through the gospel getting into their heart. And that's, that, that means you're right in the middle of the most incredible spiritual battles that are going on on the face of this earth. But what I also want you to understand is the reality that that not only is he seeking in terms of keep the unbeliever from that seat of faith where they can come to know Christ. He is trying to keep you from growing in your faith. In fact, he wants to steal your faith from you so that you do not experience what Jesus goes on to say here In John chapter 10 and in verse 10, where Jesus said, all right, the thief, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he does that with the unbeliever. Listen, if he can keep that seed, if he can steal the seed away, he can kill every opportunity for them to come to know Christ, and eventually he's gonna destroy their life in eternity separated from God in that place called hell. But Jesus said this, He says, I have come, or I came, so that they would have life and have it abundantly. And again, the abundant life he's talking about here is not abundant life of earthly treasures. He's talking about spiritual treasures, like the Lord God fulfilling the purposes he has in your life, and you experiencing the promises of God that comes in the lord jesus christ and and god personally blessing you in your life everything involved in terms of our relationship and our fellowship this personal living relationship with him all of that is contingent upon our faith trust and obey you know the hymn many of you know the hymn Now, There's no other way to be happy, to be joyful in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And so he seeks, even as a child of God, he is seeking to steal away your faith so that you cannot experience those purposes, those promises, and personal blessings. Would you just hold your place here and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 15, And I want you to look at verse 8 because in this one verse, Jesus is is drawing our attention to a problem that, that we need to address when we talk about this issue of faith. And that is there are two types of faith. There is lip service faith and there's living faith. And he's addressing the lip-serving faith in this verse. In Matthew chapter 15 and and in verse 8, Jesus quoting the prophet Isaiah said, this people, talking about his own people here, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. I have discovered in my own life, okay, so I'm just using this in my own experiences. I have grown up in the faith myself. a trusted Christ when I was seven. And so for 60 years, I've had this incredible relationship with him. But there are times, can I just go ahead and just confess this before you? The times where I basically was giving him lip service. And it was easy to do. I could be very bold about it. I was involved in fellowship of Christian athletes down at the University of South Carolina. And so we'd go into high schools and share testimonies and things of that nature. And it was easy to give him lip service, talk boldly about how awesome God is, talk boldly about, well, there's nothing impossible for the Lord. Of course, it meant nothing to him about what I was saying. Because it was just lip service. It was lip service faith instead of living faith. Living faith is when we put everything into action. We're taking steps. See, faith is not a noun. Faith is a verb. And so, it's easy. You know this. I'm just sharing what you already know. It's easy to live by lip service faith. All you got to do is say it. But living faith is you've got to live it. And so he says there is an issue that is here. So when we're talking about faith, I'm not talking about lip service faith. I am actually talking about living faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times (coughs) when we talk, we have our casual Christian talks and maybe we're in a group and and we're talking about maybe this body of Christ or maybe another body of Christ. And well, how's it going down there? And what we're trying to do is kind of determine the spiritual health maybe of that church or this church or that body of Christ. And what we do is we talk about what? Buildings. And we talk about programs. And it's not that buildings are not important. I praise the Lord for this facility and all the facilities that we have. And I praise the Lord for all the ministries we have. But listen to me. When the Apostle Paul wanted to gauge the spiritual health of a body of Christ or of a believer, he didn't focus on buildings. He didn't focus on programs or ministries. He wanted to know where they were. In their faith. So let me just give you an example of this. Over in First Thessalonians, Paul writes a letter to the church in Thessalonica. I want you to look at it with me for just a moment. First Thessalonians, and uh, in chapter three, and I, what I want you to notice is how many times he makes reference to faith, and particularly their faith. This is an example. We're not going to stay here long. But I just want you to notice this, because it's so incredibly important for us to be able to recognize the importance of this. It says in uh, chapter three and verse two, uh, He is writing to them, and, and the scripture says this, as we begin looking. it says, "And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the benefit of your faith." Paul said, I want, I want to make sure your faith is strong. I want to make sure you're not uh, one of those, what we call alka Christians, you know what I'm talking about? Or alka professors of faith, professors of faith, you know, where you're plump, plump, fizz, fizz, and it's not long till the fizz is gone. You got the the picture there. And there's a lot that respond to the gospel and they seem excited. And so it's plump, plump, fizz, fizz. They're all in. And then you turn around and they're all out. He was concerned about their faith. And so you pick up again in, in verse five as he continues to write his letter. And he says, for this reason, when I no longer can endure it, I I had to know, he's saying, I had to know. I also sent to find out about your faith, not about your buildings, not about your programs. I want to know about your faith. For fear that the tempter, listen to this, might have tempted you and our labor would be for nothing. What is he saying? In case Satan has stepped in and stolen your faith away. So he says this in verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love. And then down in verse 7, for this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted uh, about you through your faith. And then in verse 10, he says, as we keep praying and most earnestly night and day that we may see your faces and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So here's my question. Where's your faith? Is it lip service faith? Or is it living faith? It's incredibly important. And you see, here's what I want you to see for this, for this moment. Two ends of the totem pole. Paul understood, Satan understands that there are two things about faith that's incredibly important to us. Number one, faith moves the heart of God. Faith moves the heart of God. Even as I shared with you earlier in Hebrews 11, 6, you know, without faith it's impossible to please him, but those who come to him must believe that he is and must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter uh, 9 for just a moment, or Luke chapter 7 rather, Luke chapter 7 and in verse 9. And I want you to remind you of an incredible story that took place. A centurion had kind a of slave, had a servant in his house that he just loved, And apparently this was one of those centurions that even the the children of Israel uh, loved because instead of making their life harder, he made their life easier even though he was a centurion. And so he had a servant that was dying, knew that the servant was on the deathbed, heard that Jesus was in the area, knew that Jesus could heal, believed Jesus could heal. And so he sent out some elders of the Jews to go and say, hey, will you go speak to Jesus, this, this one, and ask him to heal my servant. And so they, they go to Christ, they share the message. And so Christ is on his way to this centurion's house. But then the centurion, hearing that he's coming, then sends out some of his other servants and to say to, the, to, say to Jesus, look, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to even step into my house. I know this, if you just say the word, I know my servant will be healed. And I want you to listen in verse nine, Jesus's response to this. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now here's the creator of all that is. Scripture tells us in Colossians 1.16 that everything was created by him and through him and for him. So here's the creator of the earth now in human form and what is it that amazes him? Faith, living faith. And it says he was amazed at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you not even in Israel, in all of Israel have I found such great faith. And so they returned to the house and of course the servant was wonderfully and gloriously healed. Jesus was amazed by his faith. I want you to look at another passage of scripture here about Christ being amazed by the faith of another one. Matthew chapter 15. Would you go there with me? We were there a while ago, but now we'll look in verse 28. Matthew chapter 15 and, and verse 28. And, and here the scripture tells us that he was, he was on his way, going down the path, huge amount of people all around him. You know, in the movies, They always, of course, have the disciples with Christ, and then they sprinkle in other people around, you know, to make it look like a crowd. Folks, he had had multitudes following him around. Just read the Gospels. We're not talking about, you know, 15, 20. We're talking about huge multitudes. But there's one lady, one lady who had had a, a physical problem for 12 years. And she just worked her way through the crowd so she could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. In her heart and mind, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I believe I'd be healed. And when she touched him, the scripture says this in verse 28, then Jesus said to her, oh, woman, Your faith is great. It shall be done for you. Here, in this story, here also, I want to share this with you because the chapter deals with the fact that Jesus, I want you to listen carefully to me. Jesus said, was with the disciples, and a Canaanite woman came up to him. And, um, This Canaanite woman asked Jesus to heal her daughter. And, of course, the scripture says Jesus just ignored her. Can you imagine that? Jesus just ignored her. Did not say a thing? And so finally the disciples, this is in this chapter, the story of the lady touching him is actually in Matthew 9, so I kind of jumped ahead there. But the disciples came to Jesus and said, look, will you just send her away? Just send her away. She's shouting. She's embarrassing us. Send her away. And so Jesus makes this statement to the disciples. The lady's there. She hears this whole thing. But Jesus said, said this in response to the disciples, said, Hey, send her away. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep in the house of Israel. What? So what was Jesus doing? Listen to me. He was reflecting what was in the heart and the mind of those disciples. Jesus was their Messiah. Jesus was their Christ. He was the Messiah of Israel. And so in their hearts, they're not not thinking he's there for the Gentiles. He wasn't there for the Canaanites and all the others. No, this is our Messiah. So all Jesus was doing was reflecting what he knew was already in their heart. But this lady... Shouted out again, oh, please, please help me. And so this time Jesus responds and says this, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, we know Jesus did not see this lady as a dog. Who looked at the Gentiles as dogs, the Jews. That's their terminology. So once again, Jesus is, he's really just reflecting what's in their heart because he's fixing to teach them an incredible uh, lesson that he had come for whosoever. He is the Christ for everyone. He is the Messiah for everyone. And so here's how the lady responds to this. Well, even the dogs eat the crumbs that falls from the master's table, and then this, which as I shared with you a moment ago, is actually what he said to her. Oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you desire, and her daughter was healed at once, immediately. You see, faith moves the heart of God. And when faith moves the heart of God, faith, as you know, moves the hand of God. So, once again, go back to Matthew chapter 9. Got a little ahead of it a while ago, but I want to get back to it and go back to this same incident. Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, the lady I was talking about who had the issue of blood that touched the hem of his garment. And it says in verse 22, but Jesus turning and seeing her said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once she was made well. Notice in verse 29, two blind men had come to Jesus said, would you help us with our blindness? Jesus asked him this question, do you believe? Do you believe I can help you? They said, yes. And so the scripture says in verse 29, that he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done for you according to your faith. So. What Paul understood what we need to understand what Satan knows is that living faith not lip service faith living faith moves the heart of God and moves the hand of God so Satan is seeking in every way he possibly can to steal your faith away to put you on what, and we haven't sung this song in quite a while, but some of you remember this song, put you on a path called slow fade. They just keep drawing you away from your faith and your trust in the Lord. He is crafty. He is deceitful of all uh, deception. He's a liar of all liars, you know. This is exactly what he seeks to do. So I want to share with you three ways in which Satan will seek to steal your faith away. I could do a whole series on this, but for today, I just want to touch base with these three things. First of all, Satan uses discouragement. Our lives are multifaceted, let's be honest. I mean, you know, it's just, we have so many different things going on in our life, so many different relationships, so many different challenges. I mean, our life every day is multifaceted. So here's what Satan wants to do He wants to bring discouragement into every facet of your life that He possibly can. It could be in your own personal walk, your walk of life, and, and you're discouraged. Maybe you haven't. Uh, uh, achieve the things you wanted to achieve, or maybe you're even discouraged about your own spiritual walk. Or uh, it could be many, many things that could come up. It could be discouragement at work. How many of us have not experienced that at work? You know, where we just get discouraged because we're imperfect people dealing with other imperfect people who respond to us in a perfect way and imperfect way, and we respond back in an imperfect way, and we end up with what a mess. Right? That get rather discouraging. You could be discouraged in the body of Christ. But here's what Satan wants to do. All he wants to do is plant a spirit of doubt in your heart. A spirit of doubt maybe about life. Maybe a spirit of doubt in your marriage, but ultimately, a spirit of doubt about God's love for you. Does He really care? Isn't that what He did in the Garden of Eden? What does Satan do? He approaches Eve and says, "Did God really say? What was He doing? Just planting a spirit of doubt." And once we embrace that spirit of doubt, then we have already put one foot on that road we call slow fade. Because that, that one step of doubt, that one just embracing that one question there, whatever he, in every way he approaches us, then all of a sudden we're, we're starting, he's starting to just pull us away. Steal from us whatever faith, and trust we have at that moment in the Lord. And so he just plants that seed on that. He uses discouragement. Let me tell you what he uses. He uses distractions. And by distractions, I'm talking about the earthly treasures now, you know. He uses the earthly treasures to steal away our faith so that we start missing out on the spiritual treasures that we can have in this incredible relationship with God. And it comes in with, you know, the pursuit of possessions and not just the pursuit of possessions, but the pursuit of pleasure and and the pursuit of of just personal achievements. And he gets us so consumed with these possessions and these pleasures and and the pursuit of these achievements and and now we're all focused in on these earthly treasures and we're being, again, another step onto this path of slow fade, where he is stealing, suddenly craftily, stealing that faith. Because every step on this road of slow fade, we lose faith, we lose trust. We're moving away from the Lord. You know, the, I believe the number one religion in America is secular humanism. So that's not a religion. Uh, yeah, oh, yes, it is. It's a, it's a religion. Well, they don't even believe in God. Oh, it's not about the worship of God. It's about the worship of man. Secularism, secular humanism, it's nothing about the worship of man, the worship of self. It's all about me, and, and I want to get as many possessions as I can, and I want to have as many pleasures as I can, and, and I want to achieve all these personal things. It's my life. It's about self-love. Have you not heard even those who are protesting now They have the signs up and they interviewed this one lady and of course she's protesting the the decision by the Supreme Court and she just said it. Said, look, this is all about self-love. She's right for them. That's the heartbeat of secular humanism. It's about me. And we're bombarded with it. And so he uses not just discouragement, he uses these distractions coming at us from every possible direction to steal our faith away, put us on this road of slow faith, getting further and further away from our trust and obedience to God. Now with these distractions, Satan uses demands. What do you mean by that? Well, when you start pursuing possessions and start pursuing pleasures and personal achievement and all that's kind of just thrown into the pot of your life, you've taken on a lot of stuff, a lot of responsibilities on your life and you don't have time, I don't have time for the Lord. That's what happens. He's winning this battle, the thief. And when he puts you on this, and we take that step rather onto this pathway of slow fade. And he begins to draw us away from the Lord and our faith and our trust begins to get smaller and weaker. And as a result of that, he is leading us to the point where he is killing every opportunity for God to fulfill his purposes in your life. He's killing every opportunity for you to experience the promises of God in your life and even his personal blessings in your life. His goal is to destroy you. So here's what he does with those three things. He seeks to undermine these things. Write this down. First of all, our communion with the Lord. Our walk with him. I talk with him. I worship of him. We don't have time. Everybody has the same amount of time, right? 24-7. Same amount of seconds, same amount of moments, same amount of hours, same amount of days. We're all equal here. But when distractions become the focus of my heart... then I don't have enough time for the communion I need with the Lord. I've been there, done that. So it's not something I'm not aware of. I have made that mistake. Even as a pastor, it can happen. And I don't have that time. And we can't create more time; it's constant. And so, our communion with the Lord—not only our communion with the Lord, but our commitment to the Lord—the beautiful passage, not beautiful, but actually convicting passage, over in in uh, Revelation chapter two. To share that with you, Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Jesus has sent this letter to the church in Ephesus and done it through John. And Ephesus is one of those churches where, if you wanted to put it in our context today, they probably had incredible buildings and had incredible programs because he commends them of all the things they are doing. But I remind you that he says this to them beginning in verse four. He said, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Can I put it another way? You don't love me the way you used to. You've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What an incredible word. But you know, Jesus said this in in Matthew 6. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So let me remind you one more time. He did not say where your heart is is where your treasure will be. No, no. He says, where your treasure is, that's where you're going to take your heart. And if your treasure is the possession of things and your treasure is the pleasures of this life and your, your treasure is this personal achievement, all those things as part of this world, that's where your heart's gonna be. And so he is seeking to undermine our communion with him. He's seeking to undermine our commitment to him and he's seeking to undermine our calling by him. You are called. As a follower of Christ, you're called. You've heard me preach this. You've heard me teach this for so long. And and just to remind you, I have a calling, but it's just, it is my calling. You have a calling. Mine's to be a pastor. Your calling is different. But ultimately, it comes down to this. You are called to serve the Lord. As a follower of Christ, there is not one single true follower of Christ that is not called to serve him. And it may be cause of discouragement. It may be because of distractions. It may be because of the demands. But again, where are you gonna fit in your calling? It's supposed to be the very heartbeat of our lives, but... So let me leave you with this word. You know, you know what's going to be beautiful about heaven? There's no clocks in heaven. Hallelujah, amen? Oh, come on. (laughs) All right, let me leave you with this word of encouragement. Our faith moves our hope in Christ. So let me just give you this. Probably should save this for another message, but I'm going to give it to you right now. First Samuel chapter 30, David made some bad decisions and he aligned himself with actually his enemy, the Philistines. The Philistines were going to war and so out of obligation of this alignment that he made with them, David took all of his men to go fight with the Philistines. Of course, when he got there, the Philistines started talking among themselves. I don't know if we can trust this dude or not. So they decided just to send David and his men back to where they came from. And as they came back to the camp, they saw the smoke. You something bad had happened? Everything was gone, everything was stolen. All the women, all the wives, all the sons, all the daughters—everything had been taken, and and his men were embittered by it. Why Why did you take us away? Why did you make this alignment with our enemies to start with? The fact that you took us away, look what has happened. The enemies come in and stolen everything. And so it says here in verse 6, notice as I read this, it says, also David was in great distress because the people spoke of stoning him. They're ticked off. And so he says, stoning him for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. And then it says this. And I like the way it's worded up here. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So here's my word. I'm close with this. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're on that path and been on that path of a slow fade and, and you, you've lost your faith or your faith is weaker, is smaller than what it used to be. You're not turning to God to deal with the issues of life. You're just trying to take it on yourself. Whatever it may be. But if you'll start right where you are today, listen to me. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Take wherever you what faith you have, and in His name, go back and reclaim everything the enemy's taken from you. You can do that. That's what this is written for, so that we'll know that, yes, he made the wrong decisions. And as a result of that, all of this calamity had taken place. He had aligned himself with him. And listen, when I become consumed with possessions and and pleasures and personal achievement, and that's the focus of my life, and that's the focus of my heart, I'm aligning myself with Satan. I'm giving him an open door to deceive me. But wherever you are today, listen to me. That's how awesome our God is. Strengthen yourself in the Lord and start reclaiming by faith everything Satan has taken from you. So, Father God, Lord, I just thank you that you never leave us or forsake us even when we find ourselves on that road of a slow fade and we're allowing Satan to steal our faith and so the purposes you have for us the promises that we could embrace your own personal blessings upon our life are missing you're not missing you never leave, you never forsake all you're waiting for is for us to strengthen ourselves in you. We can turn at any time and start reclaiming back what our enemy has taken from us. And I trust you'll take this truth, keep it strong in our hearts and in our minds. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.